Hey everybody, Zach here. Uh, before we get into this episode where we cover Rob Zombie's 2003 film House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, we recorded this episode about three or four weeks ago at this point, and uh, since then, unfortunately, as you may well know, actor Sid Haig, who portrays Captain Spaulding in the film, has passed away at the age of 80 on Saturday, September 21st. Um, I was very saddened by this news because I've known who Sid Haig was pretty much since I was an adolescent, like maybe like 10 years old. Um, I, he was in the original Batman show. He was in Buck Rogers, a, a bunch of stuff my dad had me watch when I was a kid. And, you know, once I got older and I saw this movie, I immediately recognized him. And it was just he's just been a part of my movie and TV watching experience since I was a young kid. And for that, Sid, I thank you, and I, my heart and John's heart goes out to your family and all your loved ones, and we hope that they can heal and that no one will ever be able to replace you as Captain Spaulding or as a person in other people's lives. Uh, we love you, Sid, and we dedicate this episode and next week's episode where we couple De Devil's Rejects to your memory. Um, once again, thank you for everything. And now, on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Information with Zach and John. Hey everybody and welcome back to For Your Infilmation, a podcast about movies and uh, cocktails and all kinds of fun stuff. I am John. And I'm Zach. And uh, today we got uh, something real special. It's the beginning of that kind of spooky season. Uh, the weather broke here in California yesterday. Uh, I say California like it's all one just place with the same weather. But it got a little cold yesterday. Like I could stand Ooh. out of my back porch and it wasn't making me drench in sweat and then pull all of the moisture off of my body with the dry air. Is that is that how people look so clean and fresh? Like they just got a shower in California? Like no. you just, you, you, you're wet and then you're dry immediately. Uh, like most people never got wet in the first place. It's kind of just a horrible place that way. I mean, it's just, it's just vanity and it's really dusty. So like you're nice and dry and dusty all the time. So the song by Blink-182, I can't remember what it is, but it's off California where they talk about staying inside even though they live in California. That's just like the realest shit. Well, unfortunately, that's probably an air quality issue. <laughs> yeah, because they enough. are literally poison here. Literal poison. Actually right. poisonous. So uh, today we're going to be looking at House of a Thousand Corpses. We're getting into that cold season. We're coming up on Halloween. we got a couple weeks left. We're going to start our big thing here soon. Uh, stay tuned for that. You're going to love it. It's going to be awesome, guys. And it's going to be a lot of blood. Just a lot of blood. Uh, yes. Mostly uh, my own. Wait, um, what? What? Yeah. Uh, Infilmation Halloween 2019. Uh, I, I, we got to come up with something better for that. Yeah, for we, we will. Stay tuned. Okay, but so now, House of a Thousand Corpses. House of a Thousand Corpses, released April 11th, 2003, and directed by none other than the Rob Zombie. 
Rob Zombie from making two songs that you remember from middle school? You know, it's funny because in the process of watching this movie, I saw a lot of the influences from some of the other work that I've seen since that time of my life where I first discovered what like music that wasn't on the radio all the time was. And I also, after the fact, went back and looked at some of Rob Zombie's early stuff. And I gotta say, Psychohead Blowout, 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 Psychohead Blowout by White Zombie really just kind of sounds like it sounds like the Beastie Boys huffed a bunch of spray paint. It sounds like the Beastie Boys huffed a bunch of spray paint, lived in a trailer park, but it was also the 70s. Like, yeah, it, it was a little behind the times there. Well, it, it was trying, I think it was a classic case of like someone trying to be ahead of their time, but being trying to be self aware about it because mm. like this, this was kind of a new sound, like in the New York City scene. Um, as I found in my research, you know, and so a lot of people dismissed Rob Zombie, but he had a very, very loyal following, which continues to this day with his movies and his music. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, speaking of which, he did the score for this own movie. Of course, Rob Zombie, famous for White Zombie and his solo work. Also, Scott Humphrey, uh, famous for working with Metallica, Motley Crue, uh, Power Man 5000, among others. I'm pretty sure that I referenced Power Man 5000 in the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man review. I believe you did. And let me tell you, it's just douchecore. Douchecore? Douchecore. It, it is... Something, like, weird about that, like, new metal, industrial, like, edge lord music that I really never, ever understood. Yeah, you know, you got your Hollywood undeads and things of the like, and it's just, you just imagine some dude waking up, grabbing, like, a little five-pounder weight, because that's all he can grab, and just chugging a monster, followed by a four loco, and then going to its seventh year of senior year at high school. Like that, this that's that's the kind of guy you imagine listening to shit like this, right? At, at least today, maybe it was different in two thousand three or whatever. Probably not. I don't know. Well, remember Marilyn Manson was like a uh, like a top ten Billboard artist at this time, so anything was still possible. Dreams were still able to happen. Nine eleven had not. Well, nine eleven had happened when this movie was released, but not before it. Oh, right, and believe it or not, the film was actually made quote unquote in the year two thousand. So technically, this was a pre-9-11 film. Um, it was actually shelved by Universal, who originally owned the project because they thought it was too controversial and would pull an NC-17 rating. And then Rob Zombie reacquired the rights and released it through Lionsgate in 2003, three years after the fact. Yeah, this movie was actually, it's one of those weird cases where it came back from the MPAA, who uh, assigns ratings to films. It came back from them as, we don't know what to tell you to make this not nc-17 like there's just too much yeah and i mean i don't know if it's just me getting older or maybe it's because i have like a weird obsession with extreme film sometimes but this is what nc-17 looks like yeah well okay you gotta also remember this was 2000 uh so keep that in context like while there are like definitely gorier films i think um it also has to do with the sexuality of the film um for sure and the subject matter because that also plays a big part like context plays a huge part in these ratings i see what you mean there yeah so like you know i mean just the way this movie looks like it looks dingy it looks dirty you know and so the academy i'm not the academy i'm sorry the mpaa really doesn't like things like that for some reason like um like cannibal holocaust i think would be a thing to compare this movie to even though i do think cannibal holocaust somehow is a better film um even with the turtle killing 
But the turtle killing. Oh, rip turtle. R.I.P. Turtle. The only real death in that whole movie, and it's just it, the only thing that the only movie I've ever watched where I actually felt sick, and it's because of that turtle. Hashtag justice for turtle. Hashtag justice for turtle. Anyway, something like that, there's context to it, but it looks dirty, it looks dingy, it looks real. So, NC-17, all the way. You know, that is a theme that I also wanted to address with most of the film. It will hit it as we get to the plot breakdown, but reality, surreality? Surreality? Is that how you would say that? Uh, the, The surreal nature of the film and the gross overblowing of aesthetics uh really really kind of drive the film and i don't know that it is realistic at all but i don't think that i care no and i don't think you're supposed to and i think you know bringing out rob zombie's music i think that that's really where you see his faults in his movies and his music is he just drowns himself in aesthetic like it's almost aesthetic over substance which is fine but when your aesthetic is like you know lo-fi you know dirty dingy like the hillbilly or i guess i guess hellbilly in rob zombie's case mm-hmm. and like you know shitty horror movies from the 50s 60s 70s like you know there's not a lot of substance there it's really just an aesthetic and do you think that there is any merit to being anything other than aesthetics i mean as far as the art of it goes is that important well i mean i think that you have to have a driving force and you have to have an artistic like style that's not just drenched in like what you love like you know like your like your heroes you can't just do what your heroes did and it's it's not it's not a bad thing per se it's just it it becomes painfully obvious when you view it through that lens and then when there's nothing else like there to give or to go off of it it really really bleeds through i see what you mean and that kind of brings us to our next point which would be like into critical reception of the film and one thing that was pervasive through all of the mainstream reviews that i had seen about this film was that it's like generally regarded as cheesy and most notably that it's unable to live up to the clear inspirations that it has that the reputation of those films is obvious but not directly inspired if that makes sense so like the film doesn't draw on the star power of let's say uh toby hooper's texas chainsaw massacre but the influences are clearly there so Mm -hmm. the subject matter is there the quality necessarily is a different story it balances back and forth between like being too low quality to be respectable but it's also too well developed to exist as camp and that's that's a big thing and that's what i'm talking that's what i was talking about earlier like you know trying too hard like you can't create camp camp comes out of not trying like the movie the room mm-hmm. it's you know just known for being horrible and being really poorly written but the performance and just how seriously it was taken and how seriously it was filmed makes it funny like you can tell that tommy was the star director writer and producer of the film you know he he was actually trying and he took it so seriously and i think in this movie you can tell that rob zombie was having fun but maybe not necessarily taking it all that seriously and you know like there's parts of the movie that i like and i think the the reception to it is actually really really unfair because i honestly don't know if the movie was really trying to be anything other than it was i don't either which would put it in the camp category but it also feels like it's going after that aesthetic 
and the second you go it's almost like being a poser you know what i mean like interesting like you're posing as this thing that you're trying to create but in reality all you're doing is just making a carbon copy of what you're trying to do and not really giving anything new to what you're doing because it's fine to do remakes it's fine to do inspirations but like have something fresh have something new to say about it it's leaning on aesthetics with no personal substance. I think that really shines through in the script and how it's just very basic. Like it like I almost feel as if like the dreamlike nature of this film could have almost gone without any dialogue. Like it, like honestly, I think this movie would have worked as just a really long gory music video. Interesting. See, I think that you are right about that. I think that in the way that the film is so aesthetically driven and also musically driven, I guess that kind of contributes to an aesthetical quality. But um, I, I don't see it as being as artistic, though. Like, I see it as being like, it is what it is. It is a horror movie. It's a horror movie for a horror movie's sake. Like, it's not trying to tell a story that is scary. It's just being a scary story. Yeah, like, at no point are the stakes high enough to really warrant me being scared or worried about the characters in general because it's like it's just set up like a horror movie like okay these people are gonna die i know that i do like your take on the dreamlike nature of the film though because that's one of the other criticisms and one of the last criticisms that i would want to touch on um is that there are several subplots or several small pieces of the story that kind of go in a direction but none are seen through to the end necessarily no and like the whole like subplot with the cop like I-, I gotta be honest with you i watched it twice I-, I don't remember like it it just goes nowhere yeah and there's a lot of parts of this movie that kind of seem that way and maybe we can uh, address some of them when we get into this plot breakdown yep all right let- let's get into it we, we- we've dilly dallied enough in the you know shit all right let's in go shit. all right <laughs> so um it opens on uh i guess something that i've seen before i couldn't tell you where but it seems familiar and i guess that's good uh it opens on like like a Halloween movie marathon TV special um, and goes to an advertisement for Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men and fried chicken and gasoline stand. Yeah, it's um, Captain Spaulding, absolutely my favorite character in the whole movie. I feel like he's the most well-written and it's upsetting to me that he's not in the movie more than he is. He really isn't and I don't know if he is the hook. I don't know if he is uh, something else that just draws but he really does that. And you're right. He doesn't have like a major role in the film outside of this, like moving the plot along. He's not a key plot point type character, but he is so good. He is like, he is the most believable character in the whole movie. And like, perhaps like, one of the most outrageous too, which is the craziest thing. Yeah. I've given like, you know, these psycho Billy, you know, you know, the Psycho Billy family that we'll meet later, uh, the Firefly Firefly family. Like, you know, it's it's amazing that he's the most standout character. Other than, I forgot Rain Wilson was in this movie. Like, like literally, as soon as I saw his face, I was like, oh shit, I forgot. Yeah, I didn't realize it. I, I didn't realize he had anything to do with this until I saw his face. I was like, huh. Look at that. And I guess in hindsight, now it's a little different after all the stuff that he's been in since then. There are a few people in this movie that actually went really far afterwards, which is not something that you see a lot out of movies like this, but but we'll get to that. So um, that's the intro to the movie, uh, or at least how it starts off. And then it goes to like the opening scene, which is uh, comes in with the neon signs and the creepy atmosphere right away, just uh, sets the stage. And it does a really good job of that. Like the, uh, 
the expose is really good. Uh, it kind of has like a trademark, like a stamp, you know, and you can tell what you're watching immediately and it does stay. So that much they did right again with the aesthetics. Uh, Captain Spaulding, played by Sid Haig, uh, he's at the gas station with the attendant and they're really just kind of living their normal life, which kind of raised a few questions for me as the film went on. Like, are they capable of living normal lives? Like, which of these characters are capable of being normal? Like, does Captain Spaulding run out of toilet paper and have to ask someone to bring him a roll? Um, I'm assuming he would just get the shit out with his hands and wash it later. Like, he seems like that kind of guy. Uh, you know... <sighs> All right. I, I don't want to think about him making chicken with those hands. Um, I mean, one, you shouldn't be eating chicken from a place called Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men, plus fried chicken and gasoline. Like, you, you shouldn't be getting chicken from this place anyway. Let's see, Zach, what you don't realize is that we've already done this. That shell station down the street from our high school was this place at night. Okay, look, there's a big difference between a gas station that has a carnival horror show ride in it slash history museum awkwardly enough and just a shell station that had way too big of a parking lot like just way too big of a parking lot for what it was and you know people would just go there to sell weed like that's completely different like small town small time like weed distributors i'm not scared of Captain Spaulding, if I walked in there, I would be like, you know what? I'm just going to let my car run out of gas up the street. Like, like he's kind of scary to look at. He is, but I got to say, man, once they put those video poker machines in the back, I, uh, I've definitely started seeing some monsters and Mad Men in there myself. Oh, well, I mean, the meth heads came out, but I mean, what do you want? And, you know, outside of suburbs of Atlanta, like, I mean, it, it is what it is. That's true, I guess. So, uh, they're hanging out. Seems like a normal night, as normal a night as it can be, I guess. And a robbery ensues. Uh, it goes really badly for them. And Captain Spaulding's really giving it to him. He's really a stand-up victim, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's he seems he's absolutely not scared of them killing him at all. Which, I guess, that that's how you do it. You scare them before they can scare you. It worked for him. Um, the guy busts in with the axe, wearing a mask, and uh, does that classic axe murder thing. And then... Uh, Captain Spaulding kills a guy just right up. He's worried about the blood on his clown suit. He is not worried about the two corpses laying in the room. They don't call the police. And I mean, clearly he's not a big person about calling the police or anything. That that becomes pretty obvious later. But um, it was a bit shocking. I could see how someone seeing this who's not used to watching this type of film would immediately see this as like a shock jock type thing to do. Or maybe just be too mortified to care. Yeah, I mean, yeah, completely agree. So then the, uh, the title sequence begins right after the opening scene and uh it's just kind of video clips again loaning to that aesthetic quality of the film um they're kind of weird they're a little disturbing they're uh suggestive even and um it, it begins to drive, it begins to pick up the momentum with just the world building. It's not world building in the sense that like uh, Tolkien builds a world, you know, where there's hobbits and wizards and stuff. It's world building on a feeling and it's giving you, it's mm -hmm. feeding a feeling that makes you think that like this, it's dark in the room right now, but if I turn the lights on, it would look like this. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's like, it's giving you that vibe of like, this is gonna be a horror movie and boobies. That, that, like that yeah. that's what i get from it yeah there definitely were uh and there definitely are um it's a kind of funny honestly like the way that they use that in this film and they really do mix i don't want to say sexuality and violence but we'll we'll go as far as saying like 
sexuality and horror and they blend that really well as well as it can be for a movie like this i guess yeah and because there's a lot of danger between in uh mixing up sexuality with violence um if you if you have that please see someone immediately like if you can't get off without like cutting yourself or something please see someone like that that shit is real and it goes downhill quickly but anyway this is more like I, I agree with you, like sexuality within the horror camp genre. Like mm-hmm. because you know, a lot of these movies like are specifically made because they are basically softcore porn. Like that like that's what they set out to do, but they wanted to actually make money on it, so they added a plot. And a lot of times horror is the cheapest thing to um turn a plot turn a movie around like you can make a horror movie for like you know ten thousand bucks so to make your little softcore porno you can just get someone that wants to make a horror movie to produce it for ten thousand dollars put some horror elements in there and then there you go you can sell it now yeah i also see the complications with the rating system and how if you're going to go that far if you're going to risk an nc-17 rating you need to start milking that for the audience that you're going to be getting now and I see mm-hmm. that more in exploitation film. I'm not an expert on it. I know it's really big with film buffs, but uh, there's just a, there's a few examples off the top of my head, like uh, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, one of my favorite movies. It's considered an exploitation film for a few reasons, um, but it, again, got in hot water with the rating system, uh, which came out later, but got retrofitted, I guess, to this type of movie. This is what kind of started a conversation on why that's necessary and then began to shape an industry based on target audience and who is and is not allowed to go see a film because that hits their box office rather hard. Exactly. And, you know, this this movie, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, not exactly trying to say as much as that, but, you know, exploitation film you know, did try to say something from time to time, but most of the time it was just boobies or violence. Or both, as the case may be. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that. We'll, we'll get into that on a, fu- on a future episode, because there, there's a lot to say in that camp. True. So uh, thus begins the, the movie proper, if you will. Uh, there's four friends. There's Jerry, Denise, Mary, and Bill. Uh, Jerry played by Chris Hardwick, who went on to go do uh, The Talking Dead, uh, Talking Bad, and a couple of other uh, like reality talk show type things around like horror action television. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denise played by Aaron Daniels. Uh, Mary played by Jennifer Jocelyn. And of course, Bill Rain Wilson, uh, we all know from The Office, uh, Star Trek, a, c- a couple other things that he's been a part of as well. A very recognizable face. And uh, looking at a movie like this before he became like properly famous uh, is interesting. And it's hard to separate him from his later work, or at least it is for me. Yeah, he's just, he's known for his comedy. And then just seeing him in this movie being like, you know, a body to kill is just very, very strange. Oh, of course. And I mean, he, he does retain some of the funny elements. I, this first scene where they come up to Captain Spaulding's and they're looking for gas and uh, he starts talking to Captain Spaulding about like all the, this is so cool, like how long you've been doing this and Captain Spaulding's just like a ridiculous character off the bat really sets up a good dialogue and I was really, really drawn to this particular bit of the scene. Mm-hmm. 
it, they play off each other very well. Really well. And it, I, honestly, like, the first 30 minutes of this movie, I feel like are the most interesting. I could see that, uh, especially for this type of thing. I think that the uh, the dialogue and the interactions, uh, what you would, like, normally be analyzing a film for, uh, really do take place in this part of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I also am noticing the uh, reoccurring thing that is the camera pans and the wipes that have the video imagery in them just like the title card sequence does and sometimes they interject little bits of plot or little bits of like information that are relevant to the plot and sometimes they don't and that kind of lends to like the dream like quality of it like it almost like and i believe this was advertised as like going into the mind of rob zombie like I think, and I think that's kind of where that comes from, and like that's how a lot of like his music videos look. And I think coming from that world, that's all he really knew how to make. So he was just adding in like you know like these wipes and like you know these triple layers and like just and it also lends to that seventies horror film like exploitation film like aesthetic. That's true, and to even have the film take place in that time period was very suggestive. I think. Yeah, um, you're definitely supposed to get that vibe like i don't think it was an accident yeah it informs the nature of the film almost so they buy their tickets and they go through uh captain spaulding's museum uh it's full of serial killers and lots of creepy funhouse stuff it actually looks pretty awesome i I wouldn't be uh surprised if this ended up on like a travel channel thing if it were actually real and i don't think captain spaulding would do very well with travel channel people no he'd probably murder them and turn them into chicken turn them into chicken what's it doing a sweeney todd here I, I honestly like I was really upset that they never come back. I guess he actually is selling chicken because they never come back to it. No, they don't. Maybe he really is just selling chicken. Maybe Rob Zombie has a thing with fried chicken. Uh, may, maybe we should have done a little bit more research on uh, the nature of Rob Zombie's diet. Just fried chicken and pussy. Oh, well, this <laughs> what more could you ask for? What oh, jeez. So, um Oh, jeez. What <laughs> When they're going through the museum, they learn about Dr. Satan, and they learn about the Deadwood mystery, how he was uh, basically taken out by a lynch mob, killed, left at the hanging tree, and his body was gone the next day. It it does sound like uh, kind of a small-town myth. Uh, We kind of grew up around small-town stuff. We were kind of on the edge of the suburbs where it started to become that sort of thing. And uh, there were a few things. Do you remember uh, Devil's Turnaround, Witch's Graveyard, all that stuff? Yeah, Devil's Turnaround, which was like apparently like a Satan is less witch meeting place. And they, um, you know, they did like rituals and sacrifices there. And like, if you go there, you could see ghosts. And then when you went there, it's just like, oh, this is just an old graveyard. And those are obviously chicken bones that someone put here because they're an asshole. Yeah, yeah. I never ended up going there. Well, actually, you know, I did go there after the fact, but it's after it was bought by, I want to say a power company. And they started building around it. So it was harder to get to. So I didn't go up close to it or anything. And it didn't look that impressive anyway. And pretty much everybody in the next county over was like, yeah, that's like a joke. And I, can't believe that you guys do this like that's a thing that you're into yeah like going out and seeking creepy horror shit like in the real world like people just like get really weird about it like even like saying like i was talking to a guy at work the other day about how i'm into horror movies and like you know learning about serial killers and like all these other things and people get really creeped out by that like they don't know how to say that and i'm like why it's 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 real life like some of this is real life yeah no it is and i don't think there's anything wrong with that especially for the sake of like 
I will call an academic study. I mean, it's not just something that you do only for fun. There are things to be learned there. I mean, it's true crime, but I mean, it just, it is what it is. And maybe you're not doing yourself a lot of favors by also talking about the orb. About the orb? Yeah, the orb. You know, the ghost. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, should I get into that? We should probably save that if we ever review, like, Poltergeist. But just know that there is a big story and there is a lot of unpacking to do on this for those of you that don't already know about it maybe maybe we'll do a uh, a um side mission type upload where i'll just talk about this thing but anyway let's get back to the movie okay so uh denise calls her dad and uh, that kind of sets the plot in motion outside of their immediate little world. Uh, and they set out to go to the Hanging Tree, uh, where Dr. Satan was last seen and never seen again. Um, this is where things start to get a little weird. It starts raining, you know, it's a thunderstorm. It's like the night before Halloween. Like, oh, uh, it's getting creepy. Like, it's kind of typical. Um, but they pick up a hitchhiker. This turns out to be Baby from the Firefly family. Uh, it's actually played by Sherry Moon Zombie, uh, who is Rob Zombie's wife. Wife, right? Yes, uh, uh, wife and longtime girlfriend. I believe they dated for 17 years or something like that. What an interesting wedding that would have been. If they really had like a proper wedding, do you think they did? I actually don't know, and I'll I'll do research into that as we continue down this series. Right, so she kind of plays the local and says, oh, you want to go there? Yeah, okay, I can take you there. Like, everybody knows where that's at. And they're going down the road, and out pops... I, I guess Nick Cage from the Wicker Man in the bear suit it just shoots the fuck out of their tire. Yeah, just for don't for be no frightened. <laughs> just don't starts be... popping shells at their car. Uh, th- this is the part of the movie where I feel like it kind of takes a downturn. You think so? Yeah. What, what is it? The uh, is it the bear suit? Is it the, uh, the the just the typical nature of the ghost story type vibes? It's just why is this happening? Like, for the rest of the movie, I just feel like, why is this happening? I mean, it's a good question that I guess we'll have to answer as we go. Yeah, let's go. All right, let's continue down this rabbit hole. Okay, so uh, Baby takes Bill to go back to the house uh, and send her brother Rufus, played by Robert Muse, uh, out to get him. It turns out he's the same guy in the bear suit, and it's all... This is where it begins to be implied that it's a setup. It's not just a bunch of weirdos that are, like, not associated. This is a group, and it's something you need to start paying attention to. And she really starts trying to get on Bill. Like, she's flirting with him a lot. And they yeah, that's not subtle whatsoever. Yeah, no, she's definitely trying to fuck him. Like, like I heard you're going to be on a big TV show in three years. Can I get in on that? Like, it's, it's very, like, odd to me that they would pick, you know, Rain Wilson to be, like, the hunk of the group, I guess? In hindsight, it is a little interesting, isn't it? Yeah, like, he's not a bad-looking guy or anything. Like, I'm not trying to say that. I'm just like, him? Interesting pick. Interesting pick. I mean, it's not like they could have known at the time, I guess, but, uh, you know. Well, no, but anyway. I, I digress. Um, this is where the cheerleader subplot starts to uh, starts to become a bigger piece of it, but this is really getting into that fragmented plot thing that we talked about in the critical reception part of the episode, where there are side stories and subplots and other things going on that are not very well explained, but you hear on the radio here and there, or uh, you see stuff in the little uh, cut scenes 
that they put in between the big scenes where things are happening to these cheerleaders that are from the local town. Um, never a good thing happening to them. But it, no. you don't know who the guy doing it is at this point in the film. Yeah, it's it's just like, uh, here's some torture porn. Like, I mean, like, it, it, I, and I feel like that's the only thing it really serves. Like, it doesn't serve the plot very much is it even necessary or is it just kind of a failed grab at a little bit more horror aesthetic i mean it's i don't i wouldn't call it a failed grab i would say it it succeeds i mean it's definitely got like horror like serial killer vibes to it but does it work for the film not necessarily all the time is what i would say yeah so they get picked up by Rufus in the tow truck and brought back to the Firefly house. Uh, Mother Firefly, played by Karen Black, uh, says that they don't have a phone, but she's pulling a real like Stevie Nicks, like witchy wave my hands around thing. It's almost like Dolly Parton like smoked a bunch of crack. Uh, so Dolly Parton in the eighties? Uh, I don't I don't know what you're saying. It sounds like you're saying the same things to me. Oh, all right. We're not going to get into more uh, character defamation here. Uh, <laughs> I, we're not going to naysay the great dolly parton do, do you own stocks in fucking dollywood man like, oh no I'm, I'm not insider trading what are you talking about of course not i don't know that the gatlinburg scene was gonna blow up i didn't know anything like that uh, 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 uh. <laughs> oh man uh, so, invest in big dolly that's been big Jesus invest in Christ. big dolly uh so <laughs> just sounds like i'm here getting like a bunch of like paintings together in my house like yes invest in dolly <laughs> so uh, they arrive uh, mother firefly and the whole host of characters pop out when they go to dinner uh, the dinner scene's kind of creepy and it, this one does a really really good job of like putting the plot and the atmospheric quality forward uh this is where tiny played by matthew mcgrory comes into the picture and they picked the right guy to play tiny yeah uh, is he actually disfigured or is he um or is he like is that makeup this was makeup but he has a little bit of a abnormality well had rest in peace uh he had a little bit of what you could call an abnormality going on i guess uh he was huge i think he had the world record for the longest toe and like a couple other things like he was a huge guy yeah, I mean, definitely, and, like, I mean, he's definitely creepy looking to look at. Like, not not, not trying to, uh, like you said earlier, I'm not trying to do some character defamation here, but, like, I mean, he, he is an interesting guy to look at, yes. and definitely not a guy you would want to meet in this setting. I mean, not unlike some characters later in the film, there's a similar thing going on, and we'll point to him when we get there. Uh, Otis by uh, Bill Mosley, or played by Bill Mosley, and uh, Grandpa Hugo, who's Dennis Fimple. They have a really interesting interaction. They bring up the Dr. Satan thing. They want them to wear the Halloween masks, and, like, it's almost like children grown up at Halloween time, but, like, really, really, really not stable. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, this um, is what your mom thought you were doing when you were trying to get into Halloween, and she was really not having it. <laughs> He's gonna he's gonna start loving the devil. And you know what they did, I guess. I mean, or maybe Rob Zombie. Did, I don't know. Um, this well, goes uh, on to the Showtime scene, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Like, did they just do this in their house? Like, this is another one of those suspension of disbelief things that I didn't really feel the need to explore for myself. Like, it just exists, and I was perfectly willing to just accept it. And maybe that atmospheric kind of setting of the film as a whole allowed me to digest that a little better because. 
who does this? No one would ever do this. Well, and it, it's really odd because it, it just kind of happened. Like, it, it, there's... And I, I really liked, like, the, uh, the the graphics that happened right before because it, it, fe- it adds to that dreamlike nature, but it also feels like you're still watching the TV mm-hmm. from the beginning. And, I like, I really like that. Like, like, the wipes and, like, the transitions are really good, but I also do not understand why this is happening. Exactly. Like, it's just almost like, oh, I guess they're putting on a little burlesque or a little, you know, vaudeville thing, which mm. in itself would be cool because it's all creepy and weird, but it's also happening within the context of this film. And it it doesn't happen long enough, I think. You don't think so? No, I, I think I think they could have done another like two or three minutes, like maybe had another act in there. Oh, I want to see Tiny juggle some oranges. Tiny juggle some oranges? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Think about how funny that'd be. He has that thing on his face, and he's just, like, throwing oranges around, and then he's like, (laughs) ta-da. And then it's just like, do we clap? Like, I don't don't know what's going on. Uh, I will Um, say, though, uh, Grandpa Hugo's stand-up thing was ridiculous. Uh, Baby and her, like, lip-sync dance thing was... I don't know how I feel about that, because on the one hand, it's, like, kind of cute, and on the other hand, it's kind of like, what? Yeah, it... It almost feels like they weren't doing everything they wanted to do. Like, you know how you can tell that in a movie that, like, they wanted to be rated R, but they have to make it PG-13 because the studio said so? Oh, yeah. And they're not they're not necessarily doing everything they want to do. I feel like that's what's happening here. Like, maybe at one point they did say, like, hmm, maybe we should tone some things back to make this rated R. But, like, it almost felt like she was trying to do a striptease, but, like, the costume she was wearing, like, was not allowing that. Like, I don't I don't know how to describe how I felt about it. Like, it just felt, like, it, like very meh. Yeah, and, and, and maybe, not, maybe and that it, was... Maybe that was the purpose of it. Maybe that was supposed to be kind of like a normal people watching this will be like what am i looking at and it'll like prime them for the things that are about to happen by making them already uncomfortable perhaps but i just i just feel like that's so cheap yeah i I mean it is what it is And also, I do want to point out, I made I made a point to make this in my notes. At this point, we are an hour into an hour and a half movie. Like, like not a whole lot has happened, and we're an hour into the movie. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. A lot of things happen really fast after this point. This is where it really becomes more of a horror film and less of like a like a expository kind of like this is what creepy looks like kind of film you know what i mean it's not mm-hmm. so artistic anymore if you could call it artistic i guess yeah it's th- this is <laughs> and, and john as we watch more movies you will see this and you'll be able to recognize it um this is when like someone doesn't do enough edits mm. like like they like they know how exactly how they want like the beginning to look and then they go oh shit we got to end this movie oh man that now that you've said that i'm i'm calling some examples out of the bank and it's ruining movies for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to think about that anymore. You, you, you've ruined it for me. My apologies. It's, it's all right. Okay, so Otis and Tiny are waiting outside. They get in a fight with Baby because apparently she's being too flirty again. That's just, I get it. It's weird. You're uncomfortable. You don't like her. Okay, that's fine. But like, they get out to that car and immediately start getting just messed up. Like Otis and Tiny jump off of these like crossbeam scarecrow hook things and mm-hmm. just lay into them. 
uh, they all get captured and taken away. And thus ends this segment of the film. And it happens that fast. It goes from being like kind of weird and uncomfortable and creepy to being like, no all joke, right. this is like happening. Like there is stuff going on. Yep, it's like we are now officially starting the movie. An yeah. hour in. Like it's time to get serious. Uh, and then, of course, it opens up, like, the next day, which is the day of Halloween, I guess, with Denise's dad calling the police, uh, telling them where she was the night before. And there's like, yeah, it was raining, you know, we'll, we'll take a look. But, like, uh, there's some weirdos out there, so who knows? We'll, we'll get on it. And they do, actually, to their credit, because a lot of times in movies like this, I feel that the police are made to be uh, less than helpful. And maybe it's to steal a sense of security from people who feel like that's the first thing that they would do. Yeah, like, how were they not calling the police? And or how did someone not realize they were missing? And it's like, in reality, like, the police can only do so much. And, like, especially with people like this and, like, really successful serial killers, which a lot of a lot of this is based on, like, they're really good at hiding stuff. Like, the police don't find these things out until a lot later, and it's, like, way too late. That's true. That's true. I mean, seeming unassuming, staying out on your own, maybe there's, like, a culture of people who generally just try to keep their distance from each other you know they respect each other's privacy i guess uh or maybe they're just so weird that people don't want anything to do with them and they don't really inquire further than what a weirdo yeah exactly just like oh that guy's a little funny make sure we lock the door at night yeah exactly and uh speaking of funny um they start waking up inside the firefly house um bill wakes up on the same kind of crossbeam thing that the scarecrows quote-unquote scarecrows were on and they just kill him like right up this is one scene he appears He's attacked. He is dead. And I will never hear Brickhouse the same way again. She's a brick. <laughs> yeah. They're slicing him up. He looks just like that one kid clapping in that vine. Where he's making that like open mouth bass and clapping really fast. I'm going to have to post it. I'm going to have to post it right when this comes out. Just so you guys will see exactly what I mean when you see this. And I might do a side by side because it's uncanny. And I'm really sad that I can't just show you right now. <laughs> unfortunate side effects of the medium yeah uh, mm. gotta get better at the whole radio thing uh they turn him into fish boy and you learn that when denise asks to see him because she's been tied up and otis starts giving her the whole like arlie ermy on drugs thing and um there he is he's fish boy that happened real fast it didn't take him very long at all no it's almost as if they've done this before crazy to think about um jerry gets scalped by baby for not knowing her little personal trivia questions yeah <laughs> which is i guess i guess that's the character it's it's almost like she was the try hard version of harley quinn before suicide squad Ooh, that's a good point. I never made that connection, but it does make sense. Yeah, well, actually, I a lot of people were campaigning for Sherry Moon Zombie to play Harley Quinn, because it would make sense. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it's believable, but, like, you know, and I think Baby is, like, the, the most annoying character in the movie to me, just because I feel like she, she they tried way too hard with her. Yeah, I think maybe she's supposed to grind your gears a little bit, and I, I get that. Yeah, she reminds me of my sister somehow. <laughs> All right, I will not inquire further. So just, just trying too hard at being annoying. Anyway, 
Moving on, uh, Lieutenant Wydell, played by William Bassett, and Deputy Nash, I think they call him Nash, but his name is Nash, uh, played by Walton Goggins, who's a very recognizable face. And like we talked earlier with Tiny, uh, his character has a very distinctive look about him. And it's not a bad look, but it's very unique. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing about this movie. It picks character, it picks actors that already look very unique mm-hmm. and just kind of uses that to their advantage. Right, and not unlike some other films that we've covered already, like, there's not a lot of Hollywood faces. I I guess you could say that, like, Baby has, like, a sort of, like, conventional attractiveness, but, like, that's pretty quickly undone by the nature of the character. Yeah, and it's, you know, like, you realize that, like, she is kind of a baby, almost. Like, she has the same emotion. Like, it's almost as if a baby had an adult body and was able to communicate. Yeah, and was super selfish and capable of committing murder. And horny, just very horny for no reason Uh, this is getting to a dark place somehow darker than it already was so um the police they find the car it's destroyed it has a corpse in the trunk this is one of the cheerleaders i think uh it's not super well explained yeah i it is one of the cheerleaders just only because i went back to check because i was in the same boat as you like i i guess is it just a random body is it was that one of our protagonists no ah so I guess they're baiting the cops, and uh, that's where we get one of these weird cutscene things that I thought was the most striking of all of them. That's the one featuring Dover. Like, he's a holy man living in a shack, I guess? Yeah, it's it's never brought up again. It's not. Like, I don't understand. Like, is, is this one of those into the mind of Rob Zombie things? Is, is this Denzel Washington from Book of Eli? I, I guess so. I, Ooh, sorry. I mean, I honestly have no explanation for this scene. It's very odd. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I think it's interesting and it's entertaining, but like, just like the cheerleader stuff, did it really need that? Like, I don't think so. It, it, it felt like padding the runtime. Mm. All but... right. I mean, in the name of padding the runtime, you could do a lot. So I'll, I'll give it a pass. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was at least entertaining and I forgot that it was just padding the runtime. Mm-hmm. So Lieutenant Wydell and Deputy Nash uh, meet up with Denise's dad and go to the Firefly house. Like, they already have an inkling that this is where they're going to find some answers. Uh, Mother Firefly invites Wydell inside, uh, and Deputy Nash finds the the shed. I, that's all I can call it, the shed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's full of bodies. The girls are still in there. Some of the cheerleaders, I guess, uh, are in there, and they get attacked by Otis. Otis puts them down. The weird, weird part where Nash gets killed, uh, he gets just shot execution style, but there's like a long, long, long pause between when you think it's going to happen and when it actually happens, like an unnecessarily long pause. What is that about from like a filmmaker's perspective? Like, what's the purpose? Um, I guess it's playing off of, um, you know, expectation versus, you know, action. So like you expect that he's just going to shoot him right there, right? Yeah. And he doesn't, he waits like he's torturing it like that's what these people get off on is the torture part of it like the killing is just kind of like a like a like a end product of hmm. that like it's almost as if someone who enjoys painting but doesn't necessarily enjoy the artwork after hmm. like it's like that's done i don't care about it anymore i'm moving on to the next thing that i'm painting like that's what i care about now i'm just picturing otis and baby just like wearing like adult diapers and like painting on the walls and gore um, you know what? I'm honestly surprised that scene's not in the movie. Uh, yeah, it very well could have been. I, I don't know why it's not. 
So this is where things get really weird. Uh, this is, I think it just opens straight onto this. The the red hot pussy liquors, like L I Q U O R S liquors mm-hmm. store. Weird. Like I get it. It's again kind of that grimy, dare I say, like grindhouse feel. Yeah, and that's that. That that was the word I was looking for earlier. It's grindhouse. Like this is this is drenched in grindhouse like aesthetic. Ooh, uh, this sounds like a really good cheeseburger could be d- drenched in grindhouse aesthetic. Mm, oh, do, okay. So not a plug, but if you guys are ever in the Atlanta area, go to Grindhouse Burgers. They have the best veggie burger I've ever had in my life. Anyway, ironic. Uh, moving on. So <laughs> they go into town to get some liquor, and they make that scene into a show and they go home and if you thought they were bad before just wait till they get liquored up because it's uh it's just, it's something it's a sight it's a sight to be seen like it's like it, it it's almost just showing how bad like those bad people you know at school only get worse when they're drunk that's true um otis does a thing where i guess things get really ritualistic at this point but he skins denise's dad's corpse and wears it just to mess with her and it's (sighs) this is like a this is like i see the texas chainsaw massacre represented here represented my fucking like what's wrong with me i see the texas chainsaw massacre represented here like i see the toby hooper influence but this Mm -hmm. is like even more extreme it's it's definitely more extreme and i think this is like if anything this is the selling point of the movie like if you want to see some weird messed up shit you can't really go wrong here yeah like there's not there's not a lot of it It, it's almost like i was saying earlier like with like sexploitation films like they would you know advertise like there's gonna be all this sex and all the all this nudity in this movie and then really like there's about five minutes of nudity in the whole movie and it's not really even that extreme yeah like and and that's uh, and that's what's happening here except it is i I guess pretty extreme it is really extreme they got them on some kind of weird rotating carousel like is this like a lazy susan for bodies like what is that thing that they've got them on honestly you described it best it's like a lazy susan just for filleting bodies Uh, perfect and you know what if i'm gonna wear someone's skin i'm gonna put them on a lazy susan i I, why not man at this point it's all on the table and it's also one of the moments that's like the most quotable from the movie where otis says the boogeyman is real and you found him and like that really does kind of that, that that's a little chilling like i feel like that's like I don't want to say it like represents the film in some kind of way, but like you watch this movie looking for the boogeyman and you found him. Yeah, exactly. And like th- this is it. Like I'm the monster. And speaking like, of I'm the boogeyman, here. this is where we get to the meat of the whole Deadwood story, where the Firefly family leads a procession to the grave of Doctor Satan, or at least what I think is the grave of Doctor Satan. It's like the um yeah, I suppose so. Like it, like the grave slash, you know, secret entrance to Doctor Satan's lair. Mm-hmm. The costumes get interesting. There, it's Halloween, and they're kind of extreme. So, uh, they put everybody in bunny suits. I, I don't know why that's important. Is this like one of those like ritualistic hair things, like from the Wicker Man, or is I keep referencing the Wicker Man, and I'm so mad that it's so in there. It's just wedged so far in my freaking brain. Good movie. A good movie will do that, and it'll bring up a reference point for you forever 
that one did it like for sure and we could expand on that later i guess but like he does a whole black metal thing do you think that's exploitative too do you think at this point in time after the 90s when black metal had like its big controversial years that doing that for this particular thing was a little exploitative um exploitative in a way of like I guess that in the way that anything ex- is exploitative, like, I mean, like, you know, let, let's take, for example, like a movie that came out in 2003 or like not 2003, because this movie came out in 2003. Sorry, but like a movie that came out in 2005 or six that has like a like a 9-11 joke in it. Is that exploitative? Because, you know, people are still going to be kind of sensitive and weird about it. Yeah. And, and that's exactly why this is in here. Or maybe just because Rob Zombie likes black metal. And honestly, those black metal guys had some cool-ass costumes. It's almost like uh, Kiss turned up a notch and, like, somehow cringier. Somehow cringier? You're not you're not a big Kiss fan? You're not a part of the Kiss army? I don't hate Kiss, but just, I, I just think their music sounds okay. It's it's uh, bringing up Kiss is a great example, like more aesthetic than substance. Other than you know, like a couple of their softer rock songs, like where they kind of branched out from that, like you know, rock and roll band thing, like you know, like a Beth or you know, I was made for loving you. Like it's it, it, it. I don't hate Kiss, but definitely their look and their image was way more important than the music. I have literally never listened to a Kiss album start to finish, and I'm pretty sure I've only heard two Kiss songs maybe that I knew were Kiss songs. Like, I am Kiss illiterate. You're Kiss illiterate? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the makeup and the costumes and the aesthetic were way more boring. Like, I will tell you that. I believe it. After all the merch I've seen, like, I could tell you, like, oh, yeah, this is Gene Simmons. Like, yeah, I know who Gene Simmons is. Like, who doesn't know who Gene Simmons is? I could not tell you anything about the music. No, it's it, it's 70s glam rock. It's just like the power of branding. We're getting off base here, like a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed our new podcast, uh, Slam and Kiss. Slam and Kiss. Just, do you hate Kiss? Do I got a motherfucking podcast for you? <laughs> you? Very specific subset of people. Maybe like... They don't like their dad, and their dad just really likes Kiss. Oh my god. It is a lot of dad rock, though, as I understand it. Oh, oh, for sure. But you know what? Let's end this movie. And you know what? Going off on a tangent like that, that's exactly how this movie goes. It goes off on weird tangents at a point, and then it's like, oh shit, we gotta finish the movie. Yeah, so uh, they take him out into the woods. Um, I think it's Mary that tries to run away. I honestly can't really tell who's who in the bunny costumes other than Jerry because, I mean, he's missing like half of his scalp. So mm-hmm. that one's pretty easy. But um, yeah, they runs away. Baby stabs her to death in the cemetery. That cemetery makes another appearance later, but I'm not really sure what the relevance is. So uh, they get to the main event here, which is where they're going to put him in this casket and they're going to put him down the hole. Yep, down to hell. Dr. Satan. Perfect. The layer of Dr. Satan. They, they get lowered down in there, and they get, like, attacked by ghouls. And, like, I didn't really understand. I thought that this was maybe, like, a bridge from the, like, psychological kind of, like, uh, I don't want to say paranormal, because it wasn't super paranormal, but, like, the psychological horror of the Firefly family and the stuff that they did, and more into a supernatural horror with these ghouls. But I've also read on, like, the House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects wiki, which, yes, there is one, by the way, um, that these are actually some of Dr. Satan's experiments that he uses to, like, guard his lair. Hey, 
if you're going to create something and uh, they're going to live in your lair for free, they should do something for you. You know what I mean? I mean, yes. Is it, What kind of government do they have under the ground? Um, it definitely goes to the court of the mole people, uh, which is, uh, the most complicated court system. Don't do this. <laughs> Don't do this right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna have another tangent about the mole people. So, uh, these hey. things, um, <laughs> they, they escape and there's some other people wandering around on there in bunny suits too. And, uh, they, they take her bunny suit from her and that's it. And she's just standing there in a dress like, what? What was that? Like, I thought she was done for. I thought it was going to end gritty right there in this cave. Like, My Bloody Valentine? I haven't even seen that movie, but I know there's a cave in it. Mm-hmm. So uh, she escapes from them and starts moving around in the, the catacombs. And she finds this crypt, which is super atmospheric. Like, this whole end of the movie is like a party city during Halloween come to life. And it's Light. like... It's almost like, I don't know if you've had this experience too. I feel like this is a fitting time to talk about it because, again, this is like a like a pre-Halloween thing we're doing right now. But I feel like when I was a kid, the back part of Party City used to be way cooler. Like, it used to be way scarier. Yeah, like, that's where they actually had, like, all, like, the weird masks and they had, you know... Like the adult party costumes, like you know, like a like you could be a giant inflatable penis, or you know, you can be one of the Slipknot guys. Like it's you know much cooler. Spirit Halloween does it a lot better. I I'm de- I definitely come from a Spirit Halloween household. Interesting. I come from a you better use what you had last year or pay for it yourself kind of household. Yeah. See, I, I was spoiled. I I well, I mean. When I was little, I, I used the same costume a bunch of times. But as I got older, you know, my parents did let me just get a new costume. But it did have to be from, like, the under $20 section. Yeah, except that one year you had that inflatable ostrich rider costume. Dude, that was $15. Seriously? Dude, seriously. Like, it was not expensive. Dude, I had to make my own crap. Uh, we used to go over to... Uh, that that one guy's name? Uh, Ethan. We used to go over to Ethan's neighborhood. You remember that? And, like, I had mm-hmm. some weird costumes for that. We're getting on a major tangent right now, but I don't even care because it's so good. Um, <laughs> like, the, the one where that white mask came from that made an appearance in so many of our other projects. Uh, I, I, I was a creepy guy in a mask, but not like a scary mask, like a, like a, like an opera mask. It was like an opera mask. And I guess that in itself, like just the, um, anonymity of it was creepy. Yeah. That weird hat and like a cane and like, that was it. And like, Ooh, I'm the mystery man in the hat. And like, the hell kind of costume is that? Like what, what? Honestly, honestly, I thought you were trying to be Tuxedo Mask from Sailor Moon. Dude, I you gave me way too much credit. <laughs> There's no way I would have known anything about that. Oh man, we'll we'll, we'll have to we'll have to watch a couple episodes of Sailor Moon, see how you feel about it. Oh, anyway, man. are we gonna do anime reviews? Dear God, I hope it doesn't get to that point. But uh, anyway, okay. So she finds the crypt. It is atmospheric as fuck, and it looks super cool. It reminds me of um. Oh, was it National Treasure where they had the whole thing? Um, maybe it was. No, it was Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like something like that, but way more quiet, and that did the job way better. Oh yeah, for sure. Like it, it definitely it big mood. Yeah. Oh big, yeah, absolutely. Big mood to this laboratory. So she gets to the end, opens the door, and there it is in all of its horrific glory is Doctor Satan's lab, and it's a weird one. There's a lot to get to in there. Yeah, well, 
Just run through it. Just run through it. All right, cool. So she goes in there. She starts screaming a little bit because it's horrendous. All the experiment guys are kind of chilling out in there like zombies. Literally like zombies, I guess. And Dr. Satan's just like going into this dude's brain. Just like mindlessly working just like on his newest greatest creation he looks up he's super like crazy horrific like warhammer forty thousand emperor looking ass and because he's so frail he can't do anything about it himself he's like what like a hundred years old at this point i don't even Mm -hmm. know it's like again is it supernatural i guess it would have to be at a certain point but he calls the professor the professor is a bad mofo so (laughs) yeah i guess he's got like this armor on and this whole like thing like I always wondered where those Halloween masks came from, where it was just, like, a really messed up face with, like, goggles on it. This, I guess, was the inspiration for a lot of that. Maybe there's a more obscure movie that kind of uh, suggested this type of scary thing before it. But this really called back a lot of that type of stuff to me. So they run out. I say they run out. uh, The professor chases Denise out, uh, trying to kill her, with an axe, a big old axe. Goes through the crypts, goes through the crypts there. She tries to hide from them, can't do it. They end up getting the cave to fall in on them. And I guess the professor dies. And Denise wakes up, finds the hole. It's her light at the end of the tunnel, literally. And she goes up and out. And it's just like normal again. Which was not what I was expecting to have happen. And so she walks over to the road and uh, guess who's there driving by? It's your boy, Captain Spaulding. Who I guess is uh, in on all of this. It would seem, at first, I didn't know. At first I thought that he would, like, he might have kind of known what was going on, but he wasn't complicit in it. But this made me think otherwise. When Otis is laying in the back of the car, but then again it gets flipped over on its ass again because she wakes up and it's like a horrible experiment of Dr. Satan. Yeah, and like she's like opening up, he's like gonna experiment on her and all that. Yeah, and then the movie just ends. Yeah. So we don't know what's the real ending here. I mean, let's be real. Where do you go from there? I mean, I guess nowhere. But like, and that's, that's like the biggest problem with the movie is like, just what happened? Like, why is this happening? Yeah. I mean, maybe there is no purpose and maybe that's the scariest part of all of it. (laughs) The real horror is in your mind. That's never a good answer. And I guess they really (laughs) didn't leave anything on the table for this one. No, they didn't. And what's what's so weird about this movie is the devil's rejects is so different yeah and we'll, we'll get to that next week and it's just you know they're just two very different movies it's almost like devil's rejects just well i mean it literally is it just borrows characters from this movie mm. so would you say that it's like a sequel it's a sequel but like i, I personally enjoy like you should watch house of a thousand corpses to understand devil's rejects but devil's rejects is a much more enjoyable film Like, not that House of a Thousand Corpses is horrible or anything, but, like, and I just thought of this example. Do you remember the live-action Scooby-Doo movie from the early 2000s? Who doesn't? This movie almost feels like the adult version of that, like the horror version of that. Like, it almost feels like it's, like, like, it's trying to fit within, like, an aesthetic or, like, a story and just trying a little too hard. It definitely oozes early 2000s, that, that's for sure. And oh, I yeah. guess you're right with, like, the horror aesthetics and, like, I guess with that one, the CGI kind of boxed them in that way where they had to make a world where the CGI looked good. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, everything in this movie was practical effects, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I didn't mean that, like, in, like, a CGI... Oh, I understand what you mean. Yeah, I do. Yeah, like, I, I just mean, like, in a feel. Like, yeah. it, like for I don't know why 
and I tried to explain it, but like those like Scooby Doo and this movie feel the same to me. And maybe it is just that early two thousands like feel. Yeah, I mean. We've watched a lot of movies now that kind of have that feel. Like, I don't know what it is about that time period, but you can tell when a movie was made between, like, 97 and 2007. Yeah, it's very, very obvious. Mm -hmm. And, like, I I wish I could put a finger on, like, what that feeling is. But, like, just a lot of... Not a lot of good movies in that time period. It really doesn't seem so, and I'm sure that anybody that cares to listen to this would probably just throw, like, four perfect examples in the comments of movies that we've just completely glossed over. Uh, Well, it's not that there aren't good movies. It's just, like, a lot of it was just run amok with, like, these kinds of things. Yeah, the the rewatch value is pretty low. Yeah, it's, it's, like... You'll rewatch this like, huh, I remember. I wonder if this is as weird or as bad as I remember it being. And then you watch it, it's like, oh yeah, it is. Like, House of a Thousand Corpses is like, it's almost like going into a Spencer's. Like, mm. it feels about the same way. Like, there's going to be some shock value. There's going to be some gross stuff. But at the end of the day, not anything really worth buying. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. I kind of want one of those, like, uh, those candy necklace underwear things. D- for for what for for, for sex like just, what what do you want? Wearing. I mean I I I don't think you can wash them. I think it's probably a wear once. Assert dominance at your local pool by showing up in one of those bad boys. I'm pretty sure there's a no thong rule, and any candy underwear I've seen has been a thong. So I think I don't even think you'll get that far. Uh, surely someone out there has dared to make candy necklace briefs. <sighs> Make them boxer briefs, and then we'll talk. All right. Uh, well, what if I had that on, but I had, like, a sarong made of candy necklace, like, you know what I mean? Um, explain a sarong to me? It's like a beach wrap. It's it's like a veil thing that you wear over your butt because you want to be modest, but you also want to wear a two-piece bathing suit because you're a Christian mom, and you're, like, 36, and your name's, like, Kimberly. <laughs> Who's Kimberly? She sounds hot. Anyway, um, but... The yeah, I agree. Yeah, don't, but still, like that's a lot of that's a lot of sweet tarts that you're gonna have to like pin and needle together. I'm gonna be digging them out of my body for a long time, and I've accepted that. I've 100 percent um, accepted that. So hold on, you're gonna be digging them out of your butt. Like, where are they going? Do you just have running open sores like like a six hundred pound man in like in your flesh? Well, it's like running open sores. I mean, normal people aren't interested in wearing candy, so anything goes. Well, I mean, like, because I I just have a hard time believing that you're just going to shove this in your butthole, and I don't know if that's where you're going with this. It, who knows where the sweet tarts are going? All we know is that they're on me. I'm on this beach. I'm fabulous. I am woman. Hear me roar. Do no, not. I'm Jimmy me. Buffett. I'm Jimmy Buffett. I'm, I'm not a woman. Um, I Jimmy Buffett could be a woman. You don't know. I mean, Jimmy Buffett is a character. I refuse to believe that's a real man. You are entitled to that wrong opinion. <laughs> he, it's a character, man. Like, there's no way. That, that he is that way in real life. I, I just refuse to believe it. Look, without getting on a Jimmy Buffett tangent, there is a lot of controversy around the selling out of Jimmy Buffett because at first he was, and now he is like a half billion dollar net worth like industry tycoon. Well, I mean, he owns a chain of very expensive restaurants that don't taste very good. Like, I was like... Not even that they don't taste good, but they're just way overpriced. Like, Are we really talking about Margaritaville on this pre-Halloween podcast? Are, are we that now? Um, 
Margaritaville is one of the scariest corporate things I've ever been in in my entire life. When you put it that way, I understand. Yes. Okay. Anyway, let's wrap this thing up. Okay. So, first, I gotta stop you right there and say I made a cocktail. Ooh. Yeah, I'm, I always do, and I always surprise you because you're never seeing it coming. I'm never seeing it coming. I always forget, but now I'm excited. Tell me more, alcohol daddy. Alcohol daddy. Again with the Jimmy Buffett. So, um, this cocktail, not surprisingly, is called the Dr. Satan cocktail. Um, and it, it's got several ingredients in it. Uh, they're pretty easy to get, though, so you really shouldn't have too much of a problem making it at home if you want to. Um, so what you'll do is you'll start by taking a glass. I used a rocks glass, just like a regular tumbler kind of thing, and um, chilled it. Put a simple syrup rim, and I rimmed the glass, actually, with the chili lime fruit seasoning uh, that you normally see on, like, mango. Mm-hmm. Which turned out really good just throwing that out there and then i put it in the freezer for a little bit uh you're gonna want to put some ice in there too because you want to pour it over ice just so it's ready to go um then you're gonna get your cocktail shakers and you're going to combine one ounce of reposado tequila a half ounce of peach schnapps a half ounce of peach and brandy a half ounce of moscato a half ounce of pineapple juice and a whole ounce of lime juice together shake it up real good you want it nice and cold And then you're going to take the glass out the freezer, strain it into the ice-filled rocks glass with your rim already on, and that's it. It doesn't take that long to make if you got the ingredients. You just got to have a little bit of time and a little bit of know-how. Is there any way to throw some moonshine in there? You know what, man? Uh, Honestly, if you wanted to, you could probably just use peach moonshine instead of uh, Reposado tequila, and you would have a really peachy cocktail. Hmm, okay. I just figured with, like, the, the hellbilly aesthetic... Mm-hmm. We should we should have some moonshine. Maybe I'll just have moonshine now. You know what, man? Uh, moonshine by itself is a pretty good cocktail, I guess. Depending on who made it. So let, let's revisit some of these questions that we were kind of asking at the beginning. So uh, what makes a movie campy? Um, is it like the so bad it's good kind of thing? Is this like a like a subset of other film genres? Or like what what is that to you? Camp to me is not about it's about a feeling like it feels like you know low budget it feels you know like you said so bad it's good like like rocky horror picture show would be like the you know that a1 example you know i still haven't seen that uh honestly honestly john you don't need to see it like you don't need to watch it like at first i would go see it in, in a live setting like a live setting is the best way to see that movie with people yelling at the screen because it it really is just that kind of movie. Like, it's not horrible, but it's not great. And that's, like, the the quotability of a camp movie and, like, the, you know, just the watchability of, like, oh, I really don't care about anything that's happening right now, but, like, it's kind of funny, even if it's not trying to be funny. Just like I was talking about with The Room, like, they made this seriously, but it's coming off as humorous. So would you say that Rocky Horror is a better live kind of experience than me taking my tablet to a McDonald's, watching Mac and me, and crying while I eat a ton of McNuggets? Um, you know what? Personally, I feel like what you just described there should be illegal. But it's not, and that's what's great about America. What, um, if, what if I sat with? What if I sat in a place where they couldn't see me from the jungle gym area? Um, 
like just in the normal adult area where you know homeless people are hanging out yeah i'm thinking of like maybe near the bathroom somewhere so like it's not that weird for you to sit with your family but like you're gonna know i'm there if you want to go to the bathroom okay so here's my thing you're gonna sit in mcdonald's and watch a whole hour and a half long movie and you know it's probably gonna take you about 15 minutes to get your food and like 15 minutes to settle probably take a bathroom break somewhere in there so you're going to sit in a McDonald's for two hours to watch a movie. Like, the Wi-Fi's not that good, first of all. Dude, I'm just sobbing into my high seat the whole time. Into your high seat? No, high C. I mean, if I can fit into one, you better believe I'm doing this in one of those high seats. If it fits, I sit. Um, if it fits, I sit. So, <laughs> again, got derailed by Mac and me, of all fucking movies. Um, <laughs> I think that you're right. I think that the uh, the unintentional quality of a movie being so bad it's good is different from a movie that kind of tries to be that way. And it doesn't really achieve camp value that way in my eyes. I think that, like, it has to achieve a certain amount of, like, unreality. Because, like, a lot of movies are credited as being good because they're realistic. Like, they either look realistic or the dialogue's realistic, I guess. But, like... This is not one of those movies. Um, many cult classic or campy movies, as you know, we refer to them pretty frequently, are not like that. It's like, since it's art, with visual art, you don't have to make the Mona Lisa to make a masterpiece. It doesn't have to be realistic. It doesn't have to be exquisite. It just has to have value, like artistic value. And it kind of fits with movies, I guess, but... Movies are like a multimedia package when it comes to the artistic value. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. It's like, it's visual, it's audio, and it's, you know, performance art. It's performance art in a way of, like, it, and it's permanent. Like, this will always exist as long as someone keeps up with the files. Yeah, and I think that this is maybe why I was able to watch this movie. Because when I watched, uh, again, we'll say Wicker Man, like 2006 Wicker Man, um, I was not able to really get into it as a thriller because parts of it were very realistic. Like, it was designed to be very realistic, but it's not. Like, it, it fails to get there because the quality of the film is not as such. But, like, with a film like this it doesn't try to be higher quality than it is in my eyes. And because it just embraces the unreality of the nature of art and just kind of becomes the aesthetic, I can put my suspension of disbelief out there and let it run. And like, I, I don't have to think about it any more than absolutely necessary. I didn't talk about the way the guns work one time in this whole movie. Because it's just so detached. And they also reality. get it right. So, you know, that too. And, like like you said, like, a movie doesn't have to be really... Like, a movie doesn't have to be profound. And, and, and I think that's the one thing that, like, I really learned, like, going through my movie journey is, like, at the end of the day, if a movie entertains you, it did its job. And this movie, House of a Thousand Corpses, entertained me. Yeah, like, me too. Like, it, it's entertaining. And it's not, it's not good. Like, you know, it's the, the rewatch value is really low. Agreed. But, but is that a bad thing? Like, does a movie have to be so good you have to watch it two, three, five thousand times? 
No. I think with this one, in order to have any good rewatch value, you would have to watch it with the intention of enjoying it for what it is. It's like, again, with Rocky Horror Picture Show, I guess. I mean, as I understand it, one of the reasons people want to watch that movie so often is not because it's just such a spectacular movie, but because it is an experience and they know what they're going to get, but they like what they're going to get. And they yes. go into it knowing exactly what it is. Everyone's on the same page. Everybody has ground rules on what's going to happen. And they run with it. And they run far with it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show, we'll, we'll do it eventually. But it's um, it's actually the longest-running theatrical film. Like, it's been in theaters consistently since its premiere day. I've heard that before. And that's kind of phenomenal, honestly. Yeah, like, I mean... A lot of places uh, do it every Friday night, and like they'll do like a live shadow cast, and like you know people be yelling things at the screen, and like people come up with new references to add into the screaming. Like it's, you know, it could be a different show every time you go in. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Friday Night Magic: The Gathering, but uh, a lot more LGBTQIQ plus friendly. And also, people there have had sex with other people, so you know, that works out for them too. You are taking a big pot shot at people who play Magic the Gathering right now. <laughs> listen, 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 listen. I'm only going to say this once. I've had roommates, I've had friends that are way too into Magic the Gathering, and guys, stop. It's just, it's fucking Yu-Gi-Oh! It's fucking Pokemon. Just because you put half-naked girls and, like, a really complicated rule system on it does not make it a, not a children's card game. You giant virgin. Like, just just chill out. It's not that serious. Please stop spending thousands of dollars on a game. It's well, absolutely ridiculous. That's a hot take coming from a guy with, like, 50,000 Funko Pop Finals. Hey, you know what? I sold one the other day. You sold $50. one? Yeah. For $50? I feel like that guy is more culpable in the ridiculousness of this situation. Dude, I, like... I I started collecting them, and I understand. I, I, can, I can see how you could say me taking that pot shot is not fair. Or pop shot, I guess, in this scenario. Oh, well but, done. But, like, these are things that I can look at and I enjoy. And I, I already enjoy collecting things. I don't go to, like, a store every Friday and bring all my Funko Pops and play with them in front of people. That would be somehow more weird than me crying, eating 50 McNuggets, and watching Mac and me in public. You know what? Let's just do it at the same time. I never, ever want to hear you say anything like that ever again. And I feel like that's, like, the third time I've said that in this whole episode. <laughs> oh, man. You, you, you caught me while I was sleepy. You caught me... You caught me at a good time. Oh, what, are you in the, the twilight zone? Uh, a little bit. Not oh. not like not like I'm not awake oh. or alert, but like I'm definitely in that like mm, it's ten o'clock. I put in a ten hour work day. I, I'm I'm good to be done here. All right, guys. Well, uh, not to bring you too far into our own personal lives, but um, we are gonna do a Halloween special this year, and we're really looking forward to it. Uh, we're gonna be dropping lots of good stuff and i really hope that you guys have enjoyed this and we want to keep doing it for you so uh for those of you that are listening and those of you that care enough drop us some comments give us a like on our little social media platforms and uh we're looking forward to giving you guys the next episode we want to hear from you yeah if there's a movie that you guys want us to do 
Um, we are always open to suggestions. Um, we want to know what you want to hear us talk about. Yeah, of course. And I mean, we've kind of reserved parts of the podcast to being like movies that I haven't seen that Zach is really familiar with, but we want to expand that and we, we want to get out there and do a lot of really cool movies that you guys want to see or want to hear about rather. Uh, so drop us a line. I mean, right now we're uh, at inflammation podcast on Twitter and we're going to be getting some more stuff soon. Send us anything. Like if you, if you hate us, let us know. If you love us, let us know. Mm, I definitely want to get some of that hate mail. Some of that sweet Anon hate. Maybe we should get a Tumblr just for the Anon hate. Oh dude. Yeah. No, two straight white guys talking about movies. Oh, Tumblr tell it tear us apart. It'll be awesome. Dude. We even went to the Rocky horror realm. We went to the Rocky horror realm and they'll be like, um anyway i really really want you to do that every time we have an episode now <laughs> that brought joy to my life and i was shocked that it did because at first i was mortified that was a tumbler right pooping their pampers anyway all right. Um, well, this has been uh, for your information. I'm John. And I'm Zach. <laughs>